Oh, are we starting? Oh, I don't know. You were staring into my eyes. I I hardly think that I was staring directly into your you eyes. Gazed into my eyes. Your eyes are kind of like the sun. I can't stare at them directly without going blind or feeling a sense of shame and discomfort so powerful that it's equivalent to going blind. It's the emotional equivalent of going blind. And you said all that while looking me in the eye. I know. Directly. Yeah. So, I'm going to have to take a long shower when I get home and just scrub that top layer of skin off. Might as well <laughs> yank your eyeballs out. <laughs> That's the case. Didn't know you felt that way. <laughs> Welcome to Between the Gutters <laughs> podcast, where we talk about the stories within the panels. Did I get it right? You got it right. Thank you. Good that's work, that's the first time I've ever gotten that right. <laughs> Were you practicing in the mirror? I wasn't. I was just. I think. Um. I think my um, my tea has a calming effect on me so much so that I was able to gather myself and focus it into making that one statement in a clear and concise way. Nice man. Yeah. That's, thank that's you. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so you're listening to Between the Gutters. We are your hosts, Drew Tan and Albert Lamb, dropping knowledge about comics and other uh, shenanigans, I suppose. Shenanigans, Guga and Curios. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you never know what'll happen in one of these sessions. Exactly. It's a it's a podcast for the masses, if the masses are interested in the lunatic ravings of two madmen. Man, okay. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't realized what I had signed up for, but okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you know uh, respected citizens, respectable citizens, and, and, you know, normal people seem to appreciate us. I'll take that. I'll take <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, so, today we continue our countdown of the top 25 marvels of all time is yep. that right that is correct okay what do we have on the docket today albert we are currently at the number four greatest marvel of all time and what did the experts deem to be the fourth greatest marvel of all time we the experts consisting of a wide panel of scientists explorers archaeologists um we took diviners and Wiccans martial as artists. martial artists and monks from the furthest reaches of the Orient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Oriental. The Oriental monks. <laughs> we can say that because we're Asian. Yeah. So, yeah, sort of. We found a madman deep in the swamps of the Appalachia who who can see into the farthest flung reaches of the future and the past. Yep. <laughs> and all of these gifted and talented and knowledgeable specialists were locked in a mountain for a year and they read every single Marvel comic. Yep. Just so we could come up with this fantastic list that is absolutely correct and has no room for debate whatsoever. Yep. We took... A hundred yeah. monkeys and locked them in a room together. <laughs> Unfortunately, they all murdered each other. So they did not write Shakespeare. They did yeah. not write Dickens. 
They didn't even help us with our list, but it was an interesting experience. Yep. We are we're social scientists here. We're exploring the furthest reaches of the imagination. Yeah. So, um, for number four, what we have concluded is that the fourth greatest Marvel of all time is Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. By Jim Steranko. Yes. There are several other writers on it, but he he's the main guy. He's the main dude on this. Yeah. So, when, we, when we're talking about Jim Steranko's Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. run, we're really talking about... We got to start with the first issue that he uh, he penciled. So, or yeah, the first issue that he penciled. So, this was a comic from the mid to late '60s. It it, it was a uh, actually back in the day in the Silver Age of comics, Marvel had a lot of uh, double features. So they would have a a comic book series that had two stories. You know, each story would be ten or eleven pages. So it wasn't its own book, essentially. It, it wasn't was... its own book. It, it alternated. I think... Yeah. Uh, so, so Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., was in a comic called Strange Tales. And the other story in Strange Tales was Doctor Strange. Yeah. So they would alternate covers, but both of the stories would... You know, they would be serialized in the same yeah. comic book. Starting with issue 151, which came out... Um, late 1966 that was the first issue that uh was was drawn by jim steranko at the time uh he wasn't he wasn't writing it he didn't start off writing it but he started drawing it with 151 and then stan lee uh, and jack kirby were writing and plotting it mm. uh for a couple more issues and then right around issue 153 uh roy thomas started scripting it uh but the I guess we could say that Steranko's run really kicks into high gear when he starts to write his own plots and write his own When scripts. he takes the rein. When he really takes the reins. Yeah. Um, because by the time you get to one issue 154, uh, Steranko starts to plot. Uh, Roy Thomas is scripting it. And then the very next issue with 155, that entire comic or that entire uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. serial is written, penciled, and inked entirely by Steranko. Yeah. And from there, he goes all the way up to uh, issue 168, which was the end of that uh, series. Mm. So it's a it's a solid amount of work. I mean, each issue or each story, each chapter, however you want to call it, was about t- 11 pages. So it was like, you know, half, yeah. half a comic. Yeah. But each... that's, that's still a good amount of work exactly. for someone who's doing all of the writing, penciling, and inking. Exactly. And if you take a chance to look at these pages it's he's you can tell that he put a lot of effort into what he drew mm-hmm. so you know it's 11 pages but it's it's a uh, 11 pages that he just you can tell that he just worked just sweat blood and tears for you yeah, know some really high quality yeah, stuff lots of detail so before we <clears throat> really dive into what makes this one of the top 25 marvels of all time what would you? How would you explain to somebody uh, who hasn't ever read the comics? Mm. Like, what what's the premise of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield? Yeah, I was just thinking about that while you were going over the background details of the series itself. But uh, I'd have to say, in short, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. On the surface, it's pretty much what you would expect 
expect from that title. So I don't know what everyone's familiarity is with Nick Fury. Uh, I think most people just recognize him as Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that's true. So at this point, uh, the the most recognizable image of him is Samuel L. Jackson. But if you uh, take the core concept of Nick Fury, he's a super spy. Mm -hmm. And I guess... I wouldn't say he's quite a James Bond, although there are smatterings of James Bond in in him. He's he's a little more militaristic. If you look at him, it's kind of a combination between something like Duke from GI Joe and James <laughs> Bond. Yeah. So he's he's hard boiled and he's a tough tough fighter, but at the same time, he goes on espionage missions where he's required to be suave and he's just. An international man of action. He does everything. Yeah. And he's the guy that's brimming over with machismo. And, exactly. And exactly. Masculinity. And um, the stories that they developed uh, for this run of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is pretty much what you would expect. It's pretty much those stories of an international man of mystery facing down terrorist threats as they viewed them in... When did this book came out? come out 66 yeah so it's it's the on some level it's it's a time capsule of sorts mm -hmm. in terms of getting a view of how they viewed international threats at the yeah, time yeah. you know so it's it's a story of him taking on the international threats of his day which are you know uh hydra mm -hmm. or yellow claw <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get into that a little bit more, we'll, but we'll have fun talking about Yellow yeah, Claw. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it it kind of reminds me of in addition to something like James Bond or in addition to uh, something like GI Joe. It also kind of reminds me of it's got the sensibilities of something like The Prisoner, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and if you haven't seen The Prisoner, it was a show in I want to say the 60s if not the 70s where um, it's about a man trapped on an island and it's just very visually very interesting and there's a lot of um, psychedelic imagery yeah. and, and I think that definitely applies to this book did, did that predate this comic? that's a good question let me check that's something for a good old yeah. Wikipedia yeah. to sort through for us so one of the things about this comic, um, that's also some something that uh, you know a lay person might not recognize is that uh, Nick Fury is Caucasian. Yeah, um, I didn't mention that uh, because I felt like that was a third rail. I didn't know how <laughs> how to approach it with sensitivity. Uh, well, I had already said Oriental at one point in this that, podcast, that so true. I felt that like I true. used up my uh, you know, I, the one thing that I get to get away with in every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, in every podcast, I get to say one tremendously offensive thing, and that's my limit. <laughs> so, I mean, if you guys go back and listen to each of our episodes, try to find those the, are our Easter eggs. Try to, try to find the most racist thing that Albert. Try to said. find the most thinly veiled offensive. And in some cases, not even thinly veiled. <laughs> <laughs> Just overtly offensive thing that I've said. 
Well, well, here's the thing, right? So Nick Fury was originally created by by uh, Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby, right? Back in back in uh, what is it like the the '60s, I think. Um, they were he was created. Uh, they had this comic called Sergeant Fury and and his Howling Commandos. So this was a, a comic that was made back in the earlier 60s, like 63, I think. Um, and it was a World War II story. Yeah. So so Nick Fury, as he was originally created, was a World War II combat veteran who, who led a crew called the Howling Commandos. And, you know, they would... They were war comics. Yeah, they were war comics. Yeah. Um, and then this series takes place... Uh, Post-World War yeah, II. Yeah, so like the... The Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos comic took place during World War Two, and then this comic takes place during the sixties. You know, it's it's meant to be contemporary. Yeah. You know, for the time that it was written. So, so this Nick Fury is actually an older veteran of World War Two. So yeah. he's probably in his, I'm guessing, like his forties or something. And it makes sense if you look at it through that lens, where when Nick Fury first came out. It was a more straight-up war comic because that was kind of where they were at the time. And for this version of Nick Fury to... Again, if this if this is kind of a time capsule of how they viewed international threats at this time, yeah. what the big threat at this time was the Cold War. And right. what was more valuable in a Cold War than a, spy. Than a good spy? Yeah. 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 Well, the, the, the thing with uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos is that that was created in the '60s, also. Oh, okay. So okay. it it wasn't made in the '40s or anything. Okay, okay. But I, I think it, I don't really know um, all the history behind why they or the inspiration behind it. But to me, it, it kind of seems like it was Marvel's response to something like uh, Sergeant Rock, you know? Yeah. Like DC's no, character. that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, because because yeah. DC had a lot of war comics. Yeah. Um, you know, GI Combat and and Haunted Tank or something. Yeah. Like that. So Marvel. You know, they wanted to meet their opponent face-to-face. Yeah. And they had to have some skin to, in the game. Yeah, they had to have their own war comic. Yeah. So they, they came up with this character, Nick Fury. And the reason why uh, everybody knows him now as uh, Samuel L. Jackson is... We talked about this, I think, all the way back in our very first episode when we discussed the, the Ultimates. Ultimates. Yeah. Mark Miller popularized the idea of a Samuel L. Jackson-looking version of nick fury yeah mark miller and brian hitch brian hitch the artist um so they were the ones that when they when they did the ultimates it was kind of a uh an alternate modern day retelling of the marvel mythos um so when they created the their version of the avengers they had nick fury in the story and they decided to make nick fury look like samuel L. jackson yeah and what do you know samuel L. jackson likes comics and he, he was, was down with that. Yeah, he was down with that idea. They Disney got him to, or Marvel, Marvel Studios, Disney got him to play the character in the movies, and that's how we know him. That is the Nick Fury that we have. Yeah. No. Yeah, and and funnily enough, this is kind of going a little bit off topic, but in the current uh, Marvel comics, in the in the main universe, they've even had they've even replaced this original Nick Fury with yeah. Nick Fury Jr. who looks just like Samuel yeah. L. Jackson also. Apparently Nick Fury had a kid and that kid looks like Samuel L. Jackson. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. Uh, comics, comics everybody. everybody, exactly. <laughs> like 
they had to find some way to reconcile it so that when people went to movies and looked at the comics that their brains wouldn't explode when they when the two Nick Furies didn't look the same. Yeah. So even if that meant doing something as ridiculous as he's got a kid and we're going to name him Nick Fury Jr. and he looks like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh all right, if that's what you want to do. <laughs> I think I would have preferred them just to take the ultimate Nick Fury and yeah. transport him to the 616 universe. I mean, the thing is, they... Not to exacerbate the situation that we're in and to go even further off topic, but they eventually did a story where the alternate universe was destroyed. Yeah. And they brought a bunch of people from the alternate universe into this main universe. So they could have done it anyways. That would have been the perfect time to bring yeah. Samuel L. It would have been a lot less convoluted. Yeah. It would have been a lot less silly. I'm I'm a lot... I don't know why, but for some reason, I feel like I'm a lot more accepting of alternate realities than I am of illegitimate children <laughs> who just happen to look like yeah. a movie actor. <laughs> it's... I, I think it's a trope that's up there with, like, a long-lost twin... Yeah. Or something like that. It's just it's it's highly convenient. So I, that's the other part of it, right? So if Nick Fury had, I'm not against the idea of Nick Fury having a illegitimate child or even a regular like legitimate child, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if he had this kid all along, where he been? Yeah. <laughs> where did his kid been? <laughs> you know what, man? I'm not a fan of my heroes who are you know squeaky clean figures and just paragons of the heroic ideal why yeah. they all gotta end up being deadbeat fathers yeah that's that's whack man i ain't done with that again like it's for me it's not even about that like again i don't have a problem with him having this kid right but you make this movie you have this other version of nick fury and you have to reconcile that and all of a sudden he's got this fully grown kid out of nowhere and it's and he just happens to have all of the skills and abilities yeah. necessary yeah. to be a super spy that's pretty convenient and it's also pretty insulting <laughs> yeah you know like i again like if if it turns out if they did a story about him where he had a little kid out of wedlock and it served the purpose of the story for whatever they were trying to do all right fine if it's a good story i can i'm i can be okay with that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. but to pull this character out just out of nowhere out of thin air out of Marvel's butts and to say, yeah, he's he's a fully grown man that's your son who's just been around this whole time and, you know, for all we know, he could have just been working in a laundromat somewhere, but guess what? He's a super spy too. He's so all these combat abilities, yeah. tactical genius, leadership skills, yeah. an eye patch. Yeah, I know, an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> and then... What we're going to do is we're going to retire your character and he's going to step into your role. Where's this guy's credentials? <laughs> Where are his credentials? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> but the good thing is yeah. none of that ridiculousness comes into play when we're talking about the comic that we're actually talking yes. about. Jim Steranko's Nick Fury, yes. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Man, that was that was a journey. <laughs> yeah. That was, man. We, we went for a ride talking about Nick Fury, uh, Nick Fury yeah. Jr. Yeah. So this is the original character, yeah. the original design and concept of the character prior to Samuel, the Samuel L. Jackson version that 
everyone knows and loves now. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about the original Nick Fury. Yeah. And actually, this comic is, I think so far, um, this is the oldest comic on our list, right? Like, we haven't had a comic from the 60s That's true. that we've discussed yet, I, think I don't so. think. I believe so. Yeah. That sounds about right. It's an interesting time period, for sure. Yeah. The Marvel Universe really has only been around for what like six seven years by the but the by the point that this comic comes out so they're still figuring things out there's a lot more uh you know freedom to explore and establish establish the characters the way that we've known them for for decades really because mm. i think this uh incarnation of nick fury that's pretty much what we grew up on yeah you know yeah. Like, we didn't necessarily read these specific issues when we were kids but that version, that look of Nick Fury yeah. is the, the the one that they would put out in all the stories whenever they were referencing right. what was essentially the chief spy master of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, this is the guy who was the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, and he had his finger in every pie, so yeah. every time there was a story, it wouldn't be too surprising to see Nick Fury pop out occasionally because... You know, Shield has a crazy vast information network. Exactly, and they've got spies everywhere, so they just know stuff. Exactly, exactly. Shield. What does Shield stand for? Do you know off the top? Of I your do head? not know off the top of my head. I reached for the book. It, it stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage and Law Enforcement Division. Nice. I had to look that up yeah. beforehand just to make sure I got it right. And it's. I think I would have been able yeah. to figure it out on my own eventually, but I would have stumbled over my words. And I'm a professional here. Yeah. And I'm not. <laughs> I respect you. I'm, I'm somewhere. I'm, good, I'm somewhere on the level of a hobo that just wandered in here, and no, you're, you're, I, I thought no, there was. Man. I thought there was soup in here. No, man, you're, dude, you're way better dressed than a hobo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so Shield is essentially what you would expect from uh, <coughs> if you watched the movies and stuff. Yeah, so it kind of runs the spectrum yeah. of spy stories and mm-hmm. the various ways that you can tell those stories kind of like yeah mi6 crossed over with super science yeah yeah essentially um so starting off do you want to talk about the craft of this book yeah i we think should, uh, talk about all the criteria that explain why this is one of the top 25 comics of marvel comics of all time so starting with uh craft i think it has to begin with starenko's art that is yeah probably the reason why this comic is remembered with so much uh reverence yeah his artwork was truly groundbreaking um i think i would i've i've heard that it was described as kind of a combination of taking the Jack Kirby influence that was prevalent throughout Marvel at the time, but also uh, Wally Wood or John Buscema, mm. uh, you know, guys who, who are more known for their really refined figure work and mm. anatomy, whereas Kirby was known for just his creativity and, and the action-packed imagination that he would put into his, his drawings. Yeah. And, and Serenko somehow manages to, to capture both elements of that where... His figures, there are times when they look kind of Kirby-ish. Sometimes they look a little bit like a John Buscema figure. Yeah. Where they're very, you know, proportioned and 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 rounded. Sometimes they're more action-oriented and angular. Yeah. He's, he kind of 
is able to fit between uh, you know both both schools, I guess if you if you want to call them schools. But he also combines a sense of like pop art, you know, popular. That's art That's exactly the time. what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, when I look at this book, it does. In terms of how he draws Nick Fury, it does look a lot... There are certain instances where you can really see the Jack Kirby influence. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a topic that sort of bleeds into the originality aspect of our criteria. Mm -hmm. But I think the added element that Starenko adds to it is the modern sensibilities of their time, which is that psychedelic pop art yeah you know yeah um one of the most famous images of uh, nick fury is i think it's based off a salvador dali painting right yeah i think yeah i believe so yeah, yeah. salvador dali is definitely one of his influences. yeah and this wasn't if you compare that to the kirby stuff there wasn't anything like that at the time it's it's drawing from something popular at the time and mixing it with Jack Kirby's style to create something new yeah. and unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's taking influences from outside of comics. Yeah, absolutely. You can see how that influences yeah. his art inside the comic. Yeah, even this cover here. This is a cover uh, that it's it's a cover of Nick Fury just standing there in front of a bunch of black and white imagery. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's a pretty famous image because I do feel like it's something that. A lot of other artists tend to pay homage to a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot, and we'll we'll throw it up on our Instagram because it's one. It's just uh, it's a beautiful image to look at, but you, two. I think it pretty much sums up what I was saying earlier, which is you see uh, the figure as something Kirby esque, but then there's that added element of psychedelic pop art to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have Steranko doing things that uh, weren't really being done in comics too much at the time, if if at all. Um, I know he's got some some pages in there where where he's got uh, photo montages for backgrounds for cityscapes and things like that. And I, I think I think Kirby had been doing that also by this point in time. Mm. I feel like I've seen that. I've definitely seen that in Kirby's work. I don't know who was doing it first. Yeah, but but uh, you know, th- it's something that that makes it stand out. You know, when you look at a lot of other Silver Age comics, you didn't really see too many other artists doing photo montages and things of that nature, where they would take, you know, a photo stat of of something real and then superimpose, um, you know, their pencil draw, penciled and ink drawings over it. Yeah, uh, and it really makes the story very moody you know it, yeah. it, it adds a, a, this layer of, of gravitas to it yeah makes it feel like there's all sorts of fantastic unbelievable stuff happening in the story but it's also kind of keeping up the illusion that marvel wants you to think where the marvel universe is still the world outside your window you know you know it's the world that that exists just like real life except there's Superheroes, superpowers, supervillains, super spies, right, right, right. and whatnot. There's That's... also a a pretty liberal use of splash pages that is very impressive. Yeah, like in a good way. Yeah, I mean, we grew up in the 
eighties and nineties and I can honestly say that a bunch of those splash pages <laughs> of that era did not <laughs> did not do such a great job. Yeah. Or weren't nearly as um substantive or meaningful. Yeah, I think it's because probably by the 80s and definitely by the 90s for sure i think splash pages just became popular or artists like to draw splash pages because they they were starting to sell their original art yeah um, that makes sense you know they didn't have to think about storytelling which is probably yeah. the hardest part of drawing a comic the storytelling aspect yeah. but if you're just drawing a pinup essentially you know that's just it's, it's just spawn jumping out at you yeah i mean it it could still take you a bunch of hours to, to do that. Yeah. But you don't have to think as hard. You know, you yeah. don't have to work through the mental aspects of telling a story. Yeah. Or panel to panel sequential storytelling. Exactly. exactly. And Starenko uses splash pages with really dramatic effects. Like oh yeah. Not only just single page splashes, but double page double page splashes, and at one point towards the end of his run, a quadruple page splash. Yeah, a quadruple page splash. Yeah. It's it, I don't know immaculate. If, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing to look at. Yeah, to see that someone back then was doing something that we rarely see even today. Yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know if it was the first ever four-page splash, but uh, if if anybody knows of a four-page splash that that came before this one, you know, let us know. And from what I understand, we. So when we're reading this, we, we have the reprint. We, I have an old trade paperback that I got a bunch of years ago. Um, but I think back in the old days when this yeah. actually came out in the late 60s, this specific issue with the four-page splash, I think it meant that people who bought it would have to buy two copies so they could put them side by side. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> there's a note in the actual comic itself as you're reading it that says the most effective way to get it is to buy two issues. <laughs> yeah. And so I want to describe it a little to those of you listening, just so you have an idea of what's going on. So in terms of this story, what's happened is um, Nick Fury is going up against an international evil organization and he's being held captive. And at this point, what's happening is there's a full out assault mm -hmm. on the sky base of yellow claw and his organization um and there's just this glorious four-page panel that stranko did of just chaos happening there's this giant there's this giant uh beetle looking thing that's crashed through <laughs> their ships and you can see all these little soldiers coming out and you can see his other allies uh fighting on this like bridge up here they're just shooting there's a hot girl his <laughs> you know kind of the, his love interest jimmy woo is over here his love interest agent has just jimmy died woo. agent jimmy woo yellow claw is over here he's got this weird energy effect coming out of his body it's, it's hypnotic looking it's hypnotic it's just a bunch of spirals but yeah. transposed over the figure of his body it, it looks almost like one of those magic eye kind of things yeah 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 totally so, if you could just imagine, like, some uh, some domed base or supervillain base with a giant battle between two armies going on, that's what's going. That's what we're kind of looking at here. It's just chaos. Yeah, we gotta yeah. figure out a way to put this on our Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when I say chaos, I don't mean that in a bad way either. It's, it's glorious chaos. chaos. Yeah. It's controlled chaos. Absolutely. Like his. He, he was able to do these four pages 
in a way where you could actually follow the action and see what's going yeah. on. It's, it's not just a bunch of bodies yeah. jumping at you or randomly placed, but it actually looks like yeah. it gives you this feeling that all these things are happening so fast. And yeah. it's, it's, it is chaotic, but there's also a sense of order to what's happening. When yeah. you look at it, you can tell, you can tell who's fighting, who you can tell who's shooting, who Yeah, you can tell, you know, who's, who's on, on a, who's Who? on what side and whatnot. Yeah. Like you just see what's going on. But, but when you have all the pages spread out next to each other, it, it's just a lot to take in. Yeah. It demands your attention is what it does. It, yeah. it forces you to sit there and drink it in and process it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. His, his artwork and his, his uh, design work is just really well done. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to the, the craft of this comic, his artwork is yeah unimpeachable. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's just some of the best art that you'll ever find, not just from the 60s, but from to even compared to people oh, yeah. today. Totally, you know, it, totally. It's stuff that, that people today will study and crib from. It's the stuff so that, it. yeah, it's the stuff that, it's the standard that people would hold themselves to. Yeah. One of the standards, Yeah, you know, certainly. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about the storytelling aspect of it or like um, any of the, you know, yeah, the story, I guess. I think the stories were well done in the sense that they were, they were, I guess kind of basic plots like you said earlier yeah. it's it's him just fighting the threats that people they're straightforward the would have imagined to be threats where you fighting yeah. he's fighting hydra um you know these there's all this uh spy stuff you know it, it's it's not necessarily anything um i would say that is too deep or yeah or complicated yeah not not really too many uh shocking twists and turns or anything but yeah. it, it's a straightforward action story kind of like what you would see in a james bond film yeah uh it's the, still the writing itself i would say it's it's very uh i guess typical of its time probably mm. um like if you look at the dialogue um it's it's definitely a little bit dated the amount of text the amount there's of, a lot of words on the page is it's yeah it's, there's a lot like you wouldn't see that that many words in a modern comic really mm. um so i think in, in in those respects maybe compared to what we're used to now it, it it seems like it doesn't hold up but if you're comparing it to its contemporaries oh yeah yeah like it's it's easier to read than a lot of other totally, totally. comics it's easier to read the his artwork makes it easy to follow the story. Even let's say you were you just wanted to check it out, but you're not into reading a lot of text and stuff in your comics. I think it's still worth it for you to pick it up and just flip through it because you can still tell what's going on just by looking at the pictures. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest marks of really uh, timeless storytelling when you yeah. can follow the action and the emotions based on the pictures without having to you know, spend all this time reading captions and, and things that just explain what you're seeing on the page. Yeah. Yeah, I'd ha happen to agree with that. It's um, it's a pretty straightforward story, but I will say that there are elements of fun to it, and 
I mentioned earlier that it does feel like a time capsule. So mm-hmm. for me, it's it's a peek at what what it was like at the time. <laughs> you know, like just kind of the priorities and yeah. um, the priorities of the people of the time period. So I think from an academic level, it's interesting to mm-hmm. kind of process that. But you're right; it, there there are definitely a lot of there's a lot of text in it. But I don't think I ever got the feeling that it was a chore to read. Yeah. The, the art keeps you invested engaged. and engaged yeah. and you just keep going. So, um, yeah. 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 Do you want to move on to the originality of it? I mean, we, we did mention it a little bit, mm-hmm. but do you have anything yeah. to add? I think the originality is pretty related to to the craft. Uh, speaking about Starenko's mastery of the form and the language of comics, mm. I think he's, he also kind of helped establish part of that language of comics, you know? Yeah. He, he made it so that splash pages were, you know, they made sense. And, and you could see that he wasn't afraid to, to just cut loose with an amazing drawing that takes up a whole page or even two pages to tell a story you know again this is a time when his the the individual chapters were like 10 11 pages long Mm. so i think a lot of features contemporary features at the time kept things a lot more dense than that you know they didn't the stories didn't have have room to breathe with a splash page or a two-page splash yeah so with Starenko being willing to do stuff like that on a pretty regular basis, I think that not only elevates the craft by you know how he established something that we see a lot in modern comics and comics moving forward from the '60s, but it's it's also saying something you know it's 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 also saying that or it's it's also like Starenko is saying I'm I'm a young buck. And I'm going to do comics that I want to read and I'm making them the way that I want to make them. Mm. You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't feel necessarily beholden to doing comics the same way that everybody before did comics. You know, he's yeah. not using, he's not holding on to a rigid nine panel grid or a yeah nine panel grid or, or anything like that. He's, he's doing weird layouts and splash pages. He's, he's not afraid to take risks in his storytelling. I yeah. think for me, that's where the originality uh, shines. shines through the most. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily in the in the actual um, plot of the story, but it's more in, in yeah. the execution of the story. Yeah, That's where exactly. I see a lot of the originality. And the fact that today we still see people ripping him off, you know, or not ripping, ripping off of him. You know, we still see people copying, you know, poses and, and yeah. paying homage to his famous covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's... People only do stuff like that... F- to, for visionaries, you know, yeah. like you you want to copy from yeah. the best people, and he set the, the tone for the, this kind of comic. I mean, I think that's the perfect transition to the next um, criteria that we have, which is the impact. The impact, yeah. So it's it's like you were saying. Um, in, in terms of our four criteria, it's hard to deny that this book did not have a huge impact on yeah. comics moving forward uh, just by the very fact that every couple of years we see someone copying this cover or doing a homage to this cover of uh, 
some guy the the pose is Nick Fury just kind of standing there and holding his gun holding a gun up in kind of an action pose kind of kind of reminiscent of something like Charlie's Angels or something I guess <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah. you know just kind of a poster shot but uh the backdrop is all this black and white imagery of different uh different images that just scream out their association with Nick Fury and the spy genre, I guess. Yeah. It's you like, know, it's, when, you, when you look at that cover, yeah, everything that you see in there, it's a, a promise of adventure. You know? Yeah. It, it, it tells you, it tantalizes you, it yeah. teases you. It's, it's saying, if you open up this comic, this is what you're going to find yeah. inside. You're going to find, well, obviously Nick Fury holding some guns, looking fierce. Yeah. You're going to find more guns. Yeah. You're going to find some hot chicks. You're going to find <laughs> some super spies. You're going to find some bad guys. Yeah. And you're going to find some, you know, bullet holes and, and weird psychedelic yeah. shapes. <laughs> What's it called? Is is that like a collage? Is that what the the term for that would be? Or I think so. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a collage of images. Yeah. So I- instead of something more conventional where you would get a poster of just Nick Fury jumping out at you like like we it's kind of the same logic as what we were talking about with the splash pages where yeah. it's just an action pose or something this is more of a collage and you get to see just all kinds of weird psychedelic stuff that's just transcendent almost mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. there's a hydra agent over here there's a really cool looking gun in this corner um there's the city of New York at the top. There's a sniper over on this side. There's there's just a lot going on, and it just requires that you... Well, I don't know if it requires, but part of the fun is sitting here and just deconstructing it yeah. and taking it all in and yeah. just going, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it makes you want to pick up the comic and find out what's inside. Absolutely. It, it's telling you that all of these elements are, yeah. are going to be inside this comic. Yeah. So if you want to... If you want to experience it firsthand yeah check this out yeah the the one cover i'm sure there have been more covers but the one cover that jumps out at me immediately when i think of this cover is wolverine enemy of the state oh yeah yeah so there was a run that was done by mark miller and john romita jr i don't think he did the covers i think greg land might have done that cover greg land did that (laughs) cover so your boy Greg Land. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a it was a story about Wolverine um, being hunted by Shield and or becoming an enemy of he, the Marvel universe. He got, basically, he got brainwashed by Hydra. Yeah, and he was an enemy of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. He was on the run. So um, the cover is more or less the same as this cover, but instead of Nick Fury, you have Wolverine standing there. And it's in front of the same black and white sort of backdrop mm-hmm. with a collage of images. I don't even really remember what the images were on that one, but it's it's an obvious homage, and I'm being generous of this cover. Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't call it a rip off. Yeah, but it was obviously yeah. done as a homage. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure every artist has a lot of respect for Starenko's work. So, yeah, so I don't think. And I think also, you know, doing something that obvious, like, there's only one guy who did that first, so if you're doing something similar... I would be, I would, (sighs) although I would be insulted, there's a part of me that 
is tickled by the idea of Greg Land going, I've never seen that cover before. I did this. <laughs> Who, who's Starenko? I don't know him. I don't know no one named Starenko. This is me. <laughs> he ain't in my cloth. <laughs> I have a hard time believing anyone's that egotistical. Uh, Todd McFarlane might be that egotistical. <laughs> Okay, so uh, definitely this cover in and of itself had a massive impact. And we will put it up on the on our Instagram, mm-hmm. so please go to our Instagram and take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just see it in all of its glory. What are some of the other uh, impacts that this comic left? Hmm. I think... Feel free to correct me, but I will say that this was something that kept Nick Fury kind of in the public consciousness. Because mm-hmm. other than this, I can't really think of this and Howling Commandos. There really aren't any Nick Fury stories that jump to mind up until Ultimates and Samuel L. Fury. So I guess you weren't a fan of the David Hasselhoff movie? Um, no. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> but I might even go as far as to say that David Hasselhoff movie, I'm sure, was something that wouldn't be possible if it weren't for this comic. Yeah, that's true. You know, like... It I definitely wouldn't have happened without this comic. Yeah. Um, I I think about... We, we mentioned in brief uh, Nick Fury as a character when we were growing up. And I know he had his own book for a while but he had his own series i know for sure in the in the late 80s early 90s period yeah and he was always a presence in the marvel universe he was always this uh supporting character in everybody else's exactly exactly he'd he'd show up from time to time and, and clue them into something big happening i guess you could say he was in an era of shared universes he was a precursor to that in the sense that he was the the thread that tied yeah, all the books together. That's, that's a good point. He yeah. did show up in a lot of comics over the years. Yeah, but I still think that pound for pound, this this run of uh, Nick Fury's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stories for the longest time is the Nick Fury story that people kind of point to. Like, I don't... Even now, years later... I don't think anyone points to that 80s series as anything to think about. Yeah, I don't, I don't really it's think so. It's a pretty so. forgetful series. Yeah, I remember trying to read some of it, and I, nothing really stood out to me. Yeah. So, they've they've actually... I think I think a lot of those stories have been reprinted in, in trades over okay. the years. But we I, can I, get I it along with The Crossing, um, Marvel Now. Yeah. Uh... Maybe if I finish reading every comic I own <laughs> and finish borrowing all the comics I want to borrow from the library, yeah, maybe I'll think about possibly yeah. checking it out, but probably not. <laughs> there were a lot of maybes in that sentence. It was, uh, there were a lot yeah. of qualifications. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, um, on, a, on a bit of a smaller scale, I think this is in the book that creates jimmy woo is it 
I think he already existed. Oh, let me okay. let me check let me check uh, Wikipedia real quick. Okay, because I was like, that would be awesome if this if he invented or <laughs> created Jimmy Woo. I mean, that'd be a very small yeah, so, uh, impact, but yeah, he, it's he, big to me. <laughs> he didn't create Jimmy Woo. Jimmy okay. Woo was actually created in the fifties. Whoa! By Al Feldstein and Ooh. Joe Manili. So he he was created in. A comic called Yellow Claw Number One. You hear um, that, fans? Asians existed yep. in the fifties. This this was <laughs> <laughs> this was before Marvel Comics was really Marvel Comics. You yeah, know, it was when they were still going uh, by Atlas? Atlas Comics. Yeah. yeah. So Jimmy was a, a pretty old character, and not, I guess he had been gone for a long time. Yeah. And then Steranko <clears throat> might have been the one who brought him back. Brought him back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's still good to see. As an Asian American, it's just good to see. Yeah. You know. Totally, man. I, I like yeah. Asian Jimmy Woo. And, and yeah. over the years, I think in the past decade, he's been uh, more prominent than ever before. He was in... He was Asian's, in Ant-Man. Oh, yeah. He was in the movies. Yeah, he was if, in if the Ant-Man movie. Ant-Man 2? Or what? Ant-Man Ant- 2, you're right. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Ant-Man Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp. There he was played by uh, Randall Park. Is that yeah. his name? Yeah. 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 And obviously that Jimmy Woo is different from he's not the comic book Jimmy Woo. An alpha male super spy. He's kind of more comedic relief. He's but a, he's a federal worker. He's a bureaucrat and uh, <laughs> and a youth pastor. Is he? That's what he oh, said. Oh wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this: I like Randall Park, so you know. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I I enjoy that portrayal of the character. But yeah. I was I was gonna say Jimmy Woo uh, was in Agents of Atlas. The yeah, he he series, ran yeah. the team, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Do you have any other notes in terms of impacts that this book had on comics? I think probably the biggest impact was how it made Jim Steranko a superstar. Yeah. Elevated him. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say, in a way, comics couldn't really contain Steranko. He moved on to do a lot of other things besides comics. You know, he, he moved on to fine art. Um, heck, even before, I think even before he became a comic book artist, if you, if you read uh, about his, his life history, he was actually uh, like an escape artist, kind of like a Houdini. Uh, really? Like an illusionist. Really? Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, legend has it. Actually, I don't even think it's legend because Mark Evanier said it. Um, but Mark Evanier, he 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 was one of Jack Kirby's assistants back in the seventies when Kirby was at uh, DC, and he said that uh, Mister Miracle, the creation of Mister Miracle, was actually inspired by Starenko. That is so cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Huh. It, it's 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 hard to believe that this this person did so many different things in his life you know he had a big and sprawling life yeah i mean he's he's still alive right now oh yeah he has he's like 80 80 something maybe um yeah he's obviously done a lot he was an illusionist uh and an escape artist a comic book artist. That actually kind of makes a lot of sense because there are a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but there are at least a couple of panels in here where Nick Fury is just constrained by some sort of contraption or device. Yeah. So it would make sense that he would apply his knowledge of escape artistry 
to Probably. this book, you know? Yeah. yeah. He did a lot of... Starenko did a lot of painting as well. He worked on on a lot of major uh, motion pictures. Have you ever heard of this movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh, it's this uh, Indiana Jones okay. movie. I think it was the first one. You know, okay, okay. Some guy named Steven Spielberg yeah. might have uh, been involved. Some in young it pup. Yeah. Up and coming <laughs> indie some, artist, some obscure <laughs> cult hit, you know that nobody ever really thinks or talks about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sorenko, Sorenko did a lot of conceptual art for that. He's in the comic book hall of fame. You know this guy yeah. is a is a legend. So his his reach, it's not just it's comics, vast. but it's yeah, it's vast. You know yeah. all these different artistic areas um, that he's he's had an impact on. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the fact that this comic was sort of the launch pad for um, building his artistic resume or or just helping him become, you know, a bigger name than he already was, mm-hmm. it, that's a pretty impactful thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of, like, he's he's known for all these different things, right? But one of the things that he's probably most known for will always be this comic. Yeah. Like... When I think about it, what what do you know what his other comic works were outside of this? Mm-hmm. He did a few other Marvel comics. He had a three issue run on Captain America. Mm. Uh, I've got I've got a trade paperback from I think they, it was published back in the early two thousands. But it it's basically a collection of Starenko's other Marvel comics. Mm. He had a th- I believe it was a three issue run on Captain America, and even though it was three issues. I remember reading interviews with Brubaker and, you know, Brubaker being the writer of Captain America, which which uh, also cracked the top 25. Yeah. He said that that Starenko run, even though it was just the three issues, three, maybe it was four, it was probably like three. He said that was a big influence on him too. Yeah. So even you can see that something that was a shorter run from Starenko still had a lasting influence. He did a lot of covers. He did some short stories and... I think they were either romance or, or horror anthologies. Yeah. But in terms of extended Marvel stuff, it's really the Nick Fury yeah. and the Captain America. It's it's a testament to just how impactful it is, oddly enough. Yeah. Right? So his body of work is is far shorter than a lot of people's. Yeah. But at the same time... Like, for it to have left such an impact on future artists, writers and artists, mm-hmm. years after the fact, that just is a testament to just the towering level of his work. Yeah. Oh, he also did a couple issues of X-Men. Oh. Yeah. A couple issues of X-Men. And he's, you know, he's gone back to comics since then, too. He's, like, dabbled in doing some of his own work or just short stories and other anthologies. I, I don't really have um, too much familiarity with his other work. Mm. Um, but, you know, you go on Wikipedia and look at his bibliography. You can find all, all the comic stuff that he did. Um, and it's probably incomplete. Um, he did do a ton of covers. So he's got a solid body of work in mm. comics. But I think when you look at the rest of the work that he did where he 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 wrote uh books about the history of comics back in 
the 70s, I think. Mm. Uh, so so he's you know, he's not just some drive-by artist who's like, oh, I'm going to slum it in the comics industry just, you know, for the Because it's a of paycheck it. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he this was a guy who, as far as I know, he cared about comics a lot, enough to write a book about the history of comics yeah, up to yeah, that yeah. time. Um, yeah, he's... He's a just just revered figure, you know. He is. Yeah. He's totally like, like you said, he's in the comics hall of fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Will Eisner comic book hall of fame. Yeah, uh, not just anybody gets to be in there. Yeah. So, do you have anything to say before we move on to the next uh, criteria on our list? No, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about Yellow Claw. <laughs> so the final criteria is does this withstand the test of time yeah um so tell us about yellow claw albert what can imagine that i'm somebody that doesn't know anything about yellow claw what is the first thing that you can tell me so i will understand exactly who yellow claw is so imagine the political climate of your day as one in which an entire race of people of a nation are the threat at the door to your nation's security and stability. And let's say that you wanted to encapsulate all of the fear and prejudice of that one of those peoples in one character you would have yellow claw okay yeah so he's a he is a yellow menace he is an he is not just an asian he is an oriental menace (laughs) (laughs) he he's kind of what you would imagine uh if, if i could describe him to our listeners he is um He's an Asian mad scientist slash super spy villain who's the master of an organization. Terrorist. Terrorist organization. Probably martial artist. Yeah. Knows, knows Kung Fu. Yeah, he knows and, Kung uh, Fu. He's good at math. Yeah, that's what makes him extra dangerous is his Kung Fu and math skills. Because, yeah. you know, regular terrorists, they don't know those things. Yeah. No? Um, <laughs> <laughs> his skin is yellow. Because it's literally, it's literally yellow because, you know, he ain't like me and you. <laughs> um, he's got a, he, he actually has fangs or something too, doesn't he? He's got pointy ears. Pointy ears. He's got, uh, he's got hands, but they're like talons almost. Yeah, they're like talons, yeah. You know, because... You know, China man, he had long nail. They they get manicures. <laughs> they get manicures. Him, that, that, that exactly. Him, that makes them even deadlier. Yeah, but to their credit, Jimmy Woo did not have yellow skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Woo had normal skin. He, a, he didn't. He bl- didn't have some sort of skin disorder. <laughs> yeah, he had a regular Asian skin tone color, but Yellow Claw was colored literally. He looked the sickly. Yeah. He looked sickly. Um, so in terms of, you may ask why, how that applies to why this, whether or not withstands the test of time. So we did mention earlier that the book is dated just in terms of some of the dialogue and some of the text. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
occasionally you'll come across something like that, uh, where you'll see a representation that's like, if they had done that today, I'd be like, huh. <laughs> I don't know of, how I feel about that. A lot of old comics <laughs> have pretty racist content. Yeah. Especially when it comes to caricatures yeah. of people of other ethnicities. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not of that school of thought that says, oh, this is offensive by our standards now, and therefore it should go away. Like, I understand from an artistic perspective that it was what it was. Yeah. I mean, that isn't to say that there aren't things written in the past that, with context, maybe we shouldn't... um, revisit or re reconsider uh-huh, uh-huh. but certainly this isn't one of those things where i'm like oh we need to scrub this off the face of the earth or anything like that and i would say i'm i'm decently liberal about that uh, about what we can accept mm-hmm. like even like i'd even go something like you know huckleberry finn i i think that's something you should definitely keep in libraries i don't yeah like i get it the word the N-word is in there. It's kind of offensive. Not kind of. It is offensive, but, you know, I think it has... The the work overall has more value to it. Yeah. Um, in terms of other things that I did notice... Um, it's funny. When I was reading this, it, it did make me think... Right now, there's a lot of hullabaloo about representation in comics, and mm-hmm. there's a pushback... Um, and I think there are people who would even go as far as to say it's not even about racial representation, even the push to have more women in comics. The, the way that the worst adversaries of this movement portray it, they make it seem like in this era, we have not been under attack by this, you know, political correctness and representation. We have never seen anything like that in this common era. Mm -hmm. And it is an attack on the foundation of comics and everything that we know. That's, that's almost the attitude that they have. But even in this, um, Nick Fury, agent of shield there, there are women characters in here and granted the dialogue is dated, but I'd say the, some, some of it, essentially says you know i'm not just your secretary Mm -hmm. and i'm not just a pretty face for to be here i'm not just a damsel yeah i'm I'm not just just a damsel i'm not just your love interest i'm i i contribute there are things that i have now um someone could read that the way that they've presented it and it's it's not perfect Mm -hmm. but i do think overall conceptually it's still in the spirit of what we're doing, what what's happening now in comics. So mm-hmm. for anyone to say that, or to for anyone to believe that we've never seen anything like that, or that Marvel comics were never, they were never quote unquote political, or never had mm-hmm. a message of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Like, take a look at this comic, man. Jimmy Woo yeah. is in this comic, yeah. you know. So I will say that. There's also a Gabe Jones. Who's Gabe Jones? He's the African American agent. Oh yeah, 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 totally. So this this was a book with a pretty wide cast that 
was representative of a pretty wide spectrum of society, mm-hmm. you know? And again, I, I, I don't know if for most people, if they look at the actual language of the book as something that withstands the test of time. But I do think that the core concepts and the, yeah, the ideas, the ideas mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think when it comes to stuff like the Yellow Peril and the or the Yellow Menace, whatever you want to call it, uh, I'll admit that sometimes it is kind of hard to to look at stuff like that. I will also admit that when I reread this comic, uh, those those <laughs> things actually they just made me laugh. Like honestly. Oh yeah, the other thing I forgot to mention was uh-huh. as I was reading it, I think there are four, if not okay, there are probably. Four or more instances where they used the term oriental. Yeah. Which was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you counted. Yeah. I, I remember. It was really, a lot. <laughs> I, I encountered it too and I was like, it made me quirk my eyebrow a bit. Yeah. Um, and it was always something like, this dastardly oriental yeah, plot yes, or something like that. Yes. Something to that effect. <laughs> yeah. It, it was clear that oriental was not a term that. You want to be associated. It, it, it was a pejorative. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure even back then it was, you know. Was, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, no, I've, I've never looked up any interviews about Sarango to see uh, you yeah. know, what, what his thoughts on it are, you know. And I'm not going to paint him with a paintbrush that says, you know, he's a racist or yeah. something like that. Like, like that, That's just a product of the time. And that's yeah. how... You know, it was something that was more acceptable back then. Obviously, it's yeah. not acceptable today. Like, if he did a comic next week and it had that, then I'd be like, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> maybe we got to talk to him about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> that reminds me of uh, a couple years ago when yeah. when uh, Iron Fist came out on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And, and they were talking to Roy Thomas, who was yeah. one of the... I think he was one of the creators of the character. If not one of the creators, he was definitely associated with writing Iron Fist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was... When, when Iron Fist was announced for Netflix, before they even began production, a lot of fans were... There was a lot of uh, an Asian controversy. Male to play Iron Fist, right? They they wanted an Asian to play Iron Fist because in the comics, Iron Fist has always been a white guy. But uh, you know, so so that there was a lot of clamor for that. And then I think there was this interview with Roy Thomas. Uh, you know, at this point, he's got to be what in his seventies or maybe eighties. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, he's he's getting up there in, in years too, and. And he responded to the people that were talking about how, oh, Iron Fist should have been Asian, you know. I don't think it was even a direct response to them. Like, I feel like the interviewer asked him a question. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, he you probably, know. you know, led straight into that. Yeah, it, it wasn't a, a, a matter of, yeah, I'm going to talk about the weather. Oh, yeah, and by the way, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, yeah. Do you, do you remember his, uh, his quote, though? Uh, I don't remember it verbatim, but it was... Something along the lines of, oh, I know, or as he said something to the effect of, I know we can't call them Orientals or whatever they want to be called. It was something yeah. really dismissive yeah. from what I remember, yeah. <laughs> you know? Roy Thomas. Yeah, and it was, it wasn't so much that he used that term as much as 
how dismissive he was about it, it. it. It was like he understood that it was a term that shouldn't be used, but he just didn't care. Yeah. 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 Essentially. Yeah. And I, th- I think if if that's the, the place where using a term like that comes from, that that does not please me. Yeah. Uh, that that doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make me. Yeah feel like i can just turn a blind eye to that you know like if that, he's not open to being educated on on the subject or even yeah. evolving on the subject it's like you're making this hard for me man yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to uh the nick fury comic yeah stuff like that if it if it if it's something that will hinder a modern reader from from reading it or enjoying it I think I can understand it. Um, I'm not gonna. It's not a hill that I'm gonna die in where I'm gonna, you know, force somebody to be like. That's fair. You gotta overlook this because yeah. this is quality, great stuff. Yeah. You know, the expert said it's one of the top twenty-five marvels of all time. <laughs> you have to read this, or you're yeah. an idiot. Yeah. You know, but if somebody says I can't get past this depiction of Yellow Claw, you know, I can't. I would understand that. that. Yeah. I yeah would, I would I'd like, just be like, oh, okay. Well, you gave it a shot. You tried and. It's not your thing, then. Read read the first half of the run where Yellow yeah. Claw's not in it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I'll put a bookmark in it, and that's where you can stop the story as far as you're concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, I think it is overall a story that um, I can go back to. You know, it's, it's kind of like watching an old James Bond movie from mm. that day. Mm. Something... You know, one of those old Sean Connery ones or something. Yeah. Because I think even those movies have plenty of um, content that we would consider outmoded by our standards, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'd, I think I'd tried to watch Dr. No mm-hmm. maybe a couple of years back. And yeah, I mean, uh, we view a lot of things that we watch the first time with rose-colored glasses. So in our minds... They're the greatest thing on earth. Yeah. And so if you do try to rewatch it, you know, it, it doesn't always live up to expectations. But uh, yeah, I think if you go into it with that understanding, yeah, exactly, it's, it's something you can definitely just appreciate for what it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. The the story and the plots are still pretty entertaining. If you if you like stuff like James Bond, like the influence goes both ways, right? Because pretty sure. The James Bond movies uh, influenced this run of comics, but I'm pretty sure these comics also influenced the James Bond movies that came out after too. You know, like there's, it it was it was a big enough deal where this Nick Fury comic would influence people that worked on those James Bond movies. I I could see that. Um, Speaking of influences, I I did a quick wiki check. Mm-hmm. While we were talking, oh, you were, did you look up the prisoner? The prisoner came out in '68. Oh, yeah. So if anything, yeah. it came out after this. It came out after it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if there was a direct influence or anything like that, but you could definitely tell that they were probably influenced by the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, with something like a TV show coming out two years later, it's hard to say exactly how much the comic could have influenced it because for all we know the TV could have been in production for a long time yeah, too but yeah. what you said it's about just how, way too close yeah what yeah. you said about <clears> how the, the people who made them who made the Steranko and the people who made the show maybe they were 
both influenced by similar things too. Yeah. I, I mean, this was kind of the prevalent art style of the time. Pop mm-hmm. art was becoming a big thing. It was kind of the art of the day. Yeah. So it's fair to say that that was what they were surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on Nick Fury? Do you have any highlights from the story that you particularly enjoyed? Mm, I do think that... <clears throat> We mentioned that a lot of the art was just great to look at. So the <laughs> there was that one story with Yellow Claw towards the end, mm-hmm. where you you know you watch that entire battle unfolding, and I do think that the art just got more epic and grand mm-hmm. as the series came closer to its end. Yeah. <clears throat> so seeing things like a full on invasion of a you know, space platform or something <laughs> like that. That's that's not something that you can easily capture in comics. But seeing that, um, you know, them invading Yellowclaw's Sky Citadel or whatever you want to yeah. call it, that was amazing. That was just just to look at, like, I could have just sat there and just looked at that page intently and like just drank it all in. Yeah, it's it's just really absorbing. <clears throat> it's it's just full of uh, imagination and excitement. Yeah. It, it makes me wish that I had access to these comics when, when I was a kid. Mm. Because when I was a kid, we didn't have... Uh, I didn't have access to Nick Fury comics like this, you know? Like, yeah. It's like we were saying earlier, those Nick Fury comics from the 80s, 90s, they, they weren't too interesting. No. Um, those those haven't... They were a very bland version of this. Yeah. You know? Um... I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were just like, oh, we just want to do a spy story. <clears throat> yeah, I like... One of the things that uh, I always enjoyed about this run was there's this one issue where uh, Nick Fury is at his headquarters and he's just sparring with Captain America. <laughs> like yeah. That, that was a scene that I enjoyed. That was to fun. see them... See these two uh, living legends of World War Two. Yeah. Sparring with each other. <clears throat> It's funny how Nick Fury has has access to all these bizarre little gadgets, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Cap has a shield, but Nick Fury his 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 watch. Yeah. He presses a button on his watch, and his his watch turns into a magnetic Magnet. repulsor. <laughs> you know, so it totally negates the power of the shield. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty funny, you know. It, is it was like, fun to read, it, actually. It's like that James Bond stuff where yeah. where. You know, a guy might have uh, a laser inside his watch, or he might have a cigar that explodes or turns into yeah. dynamite or something like that. There's a lot of uh, funny and and imaginative uh, devices. Yeah, I will say that that was one thing that I did appreciate about this. Um, so it always feels to me when I used to watch like spy cartoons and stuff, they would always introduce. A gadget in that episode and mm-hmm. it would be used in that episode and that was the last you ever saw of it yeah but with this he introduced these gadgets sporadically throughout the series and you saw them throughout the series they would be reoccurring yeah you know he used them more than once yeah and as a kid when whenever when i whenever i watched you know a spy show or something it, it kind of 
I guess I always thought it was weird that they wouldn't reuse it, you know? I mean, yeah, it was effective in that last movie. Why isn't James Bond <laughs> using it in Thunderball or something <laughs> like that, you know? So, There's I did... a sense of continuity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's, I, I, I mean, I know it's a minor thing, but I appreciated it. Yeah, there is... There's a lot of fun stuff in this whole run because it it is one long story. I mean, there's distinctive story arcs too, mm. um, but uh, it's it's also fun to see the characters evolve, the characters be introduced and evolve. Yeah, thinking about the the supporting cast, like the other good guys in in Shield, and you know I I don't really watch the the Marvel Agents of Shield show, so I don't know if any of these characters have really been adapted for the show mm. but uh a lot of these characters still show up in modern comics yeah um like you, you've got uh dum dum dugan mm. the guy with the bowler hat and the curly red mustache you've you've got uh clay quartermain who was was he the the kind of showboaty he was, yeah he yeah, was yeah, yeah, showboaty yeah. that's now. who i was yeah. that's who i was going for yeah, yeah clay quartermain he, he kind of reminds you of like a zach brannigan type yeah of yeah <laughs> Or actually, I could say Zach Brannigan reminds you of him. He's like Clay Quartermain, yeah. It's it's almost an over-the-top, jokey version of Nick Fury, you know? It's like, what if the dials were turned to 11? Yeah. You know, like, this guy's so macho that, like, he he ain't got time to, to... to do anything but you know yeah. flex his muscles and yeah. smile at you but at the same time he even had moments to shine he was yeah. he was helping you yeah. know so he still had a good heart he still had a good heart yeah, yeah. and i i did like i i appreciated that they didn't just make him just a joke yeah exactly you know? if it was garth ennis there's a chance he would have something bad would have happened to him <laughs> there's a chance he would have done something bad to a woman yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah this is that character he seems like such a minor character but i remember the first time i ever heard of him was when i was reading a bendis comic back in the early 2000s mm. you know he showed up in in alias yeah jessica jones he was a character that showed up there um jasper sitwell he's another character he's oh, yeah. kind of like that pencil he, pusher but he ended up being in the show too was it wasn't he wasn't he in the movie he was in the movie and the show oh he was in the show yeah Oh, okay. He was one of those characters where I think they could put him in the movie, but because he wasn't one of the main stars, mm-hmm. they could thread him into the show, oh, and okay. it would cost them less to use him. <laughs> so, but it would still provide that sense of continuity between the show and the movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but it, the thing about him in the movie is that he was. Uh, revealed to be a Hydra sleeper agent yeah. in the Winter Soldier movie, which uh, doesn't happen in the comics. In the comics, he's just a good guy. Yeah. Uh... Was Quartermain... He wasn't the guy in that Deadpool by Lapham, was he? Was he? I don't remember. I just, I can't remember. I just remember the dude sort of looked like him. But Well, suffice it to say... The you know there are a lot of characters from this run that sporadically come back, you know into yeah. into consciousness into the comics reading uh, community consciousness. Yeah, in, even, in even just some different of the ways. the devices or weaponry that they use. In Satan the Claw. The Satan Claw. Yeah. 
Baron Baron von Strucker, the leader of Hydra and a Nazi and enemy of uh, Nick Fury from World War Two. He has this weapon called the Satan Claw, <laughs> which is a pretty hilarious name for a weapon. It's it's talk about dialing it to eleven, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's just a red metal glove that gives him super strength in that arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got the deadliest arm yeah. in the Marvel universe. Yeah. And he can shoot energy blasts and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, man, what a what an idea! So <laughs> yeah. Who who would think of naming a power glove the Satan glove? Yeah. Was there anything else that uh, jumped out at you that you wanted to? No, uh, that was that was some good stuff. Yeah. I I think I think we covered. Covered the bases pretty well, so I'm I'm pretty satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yourself? Here's a question: sure. Are you are you surprised that it took us all the way up to number four on our list before we got to a comic that was made in the '60s? Mm, I'm gonna say no, or I'm not even gonna go as far as to say um as to limit it to a comic in the 60s i would tweak that phrase to say to a comic that's as old as that mm-hmm. right so knowing what i know about our list mm-hmm. moving forward um i'm not surprised by it mm-hmm. if only because a lot of the comics that that we have that level of reverence for are are of an older era mm-hmm. you know i mean yeah. especially in terms of the the remaining top 4 spots right, right. so right. i don't i'm not troubled by the idea that oh it took us all the way to get to number 4 before we we got something that was that old if anything it, yeah. it's almost like we put it yeah. on a pedestal. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's what I was going to yeah. say. It's I do think that uh it's kind of interesting just in terms of uh how we conducted the list that uh sometimes it feels like more recent books. It's harder for it's harder to to say, you know, what what sort of impact that a newer book had Definitely. or um, you know, does a newer book really withstand the test of time, or is it going to get replaced by a flavor of the month? But uh, something like this, it's easy to be oh, yeah. very confident that we have the power is, of hindsight with yeah, this. Exactly, yeah. this is a comic that was made before we were born. Yeah, and the other thing is, I don't know about you, but for me, the impulse a lot of the times is because we've read certain things more recently mm-hmm. the impulse is to overrate them not necessarily overrate them but to well i guess maybe overrate them is the proper term but just just by the very virtue of the fact that it's fresher in my memory yeah i'm more inclined to put that on the forefront of whatever list i'm making right you know right so and and that's not necessarily fair to the list Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, again, something like this is—it's almost a given. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like we, we would have been fools if we didn't have this on our list. And... We ain't no fools. We ain't fools. And if we had put this lower, uh, like, I don't I don't think that would have been fitting either. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest and say that there are things that are lower on the list that I'd probably be more inclined to reread more often just because they're easier to read. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of, like, just the sheer entertainment, there are other... There, there might be other comics that... I'm entertained more by or that I would, you know, more naturally gravitate towards. But based on the four criteria, craft, originality, yeah. impact, and withstanding the test of time. Yeah. You know, there's no argument for me about where this belongs on the list. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we included something like its ability to withstand the test of time. Yeah. Especially if we're going to try to develop a list of the top 25 yeah, this is of a, anything. This isn't it's, just a list of our favorite comics or anything. Yeah, you know, there's a there's, there's a, a logic to it. Yeah, it's scientific. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's very scientific. Above board. <laughs> <laughs> we did our research. We did calculations. Those poor monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it back. Is there anything you would like to say to the viewer or to the listeners before we uh, end the, this episode? Um, no, I'm 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 glad we did it. I'm glad we did this. I'm like sorry, guys, that it took so long. It's just you know we uh, we wanted to do it right and we wanted to give it a proper read through before we reviewed it, and we did it our due diligence mm-hmm. and. Um, I would I would share the same sentiment as Drew earlier, where he was saying, "Look, if there are certain aspects of it that don't fit your sensibilities, or you might find too offensive, maybe you shouldn't read it." But I think if you're open-minded and if enough, and if you have a decently strong constitution in your opinion, and you're willing to give it a try, I would highly recommend this just to educate yourself on one of the touchstone comics yeah in in marvel's entire library of comics yeah Yeah. as as long as you're willing to accept the fact that this comic was made at a different time period you know that's i don't know what more context you would need to you know be understanding of of like the yellow claw stuff and the yellow peril stuff i mean again it doesn't mean that it's okay yeah but it's understandable yeah you're we we assume that our listeners are mature enough and uh, nuanced enough to be accepting of these things. So take it upon yourself to make that decision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say that this one time I was reading an old comic and I found some racist stuff in it. And it was too racist. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, I guess I'll just go ahead and, like, be specific. But I was reading uh, Will Eisner's The, the Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Spirit. that. And I'd, I'd read a bunch of The Spirit before, but, but uh, this one time I found one of the archival hardcovers for super cheap. Yeah. And I was super excited. So I bought it because these books are, what, like 50 or 75 bucks. And, and for I, those of you not in the know, Will Eisner's Spirit is considered, like... 
it's 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 highly regarded as a comics artifact, I guess. Yeah, one of the most important comics of all time. Yeah, by one of the most important people in comics of all time. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. and it was made in like the '30s or '40s, um, so it's pretty old. And I found these hardcovers that that had some of those strips. The uh, cover prices were probably either fifty or seventy-five bucks, and I found one for for ten. Like bucks. eight bucks or something or, like that. Yeah, yeah, eight or ten bucks. Yeah. So I was like pumped up to get it. And and again, this it wasn't the first time I had ever read the Spirit. Um, you know, if you don't, I'm not going to get too deep into who the spirit is, but you know, you can always look him up on Wikipedia, just look up Will Eisner's The Spirit, mm. or I guess if you remember that really bad movie from a couple years ago, yeah. it's been like a decade at least probably by now, yeah. um, this is the source material. So I found the spirit hardcover and, and like I was saying, it wasn't the first time I'd read the spirit, but then this particular hardcover started off with a bunch of stories featuring... Uh, the spirit's sidekick, sidekick right? yeah. named Ebony, and and first of all, that's a very uh, questionable name yeah. for an African American character. I don't it's, know if you guys can hear it, but I'm wincing. He's wincing pretty hard. <laughs> Albert is wincing. Yeah. Uh, and the way that he was drawn, it was he was drawn in a very offensive way too. I like, would not want to be represented that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, he had very dark skin, for one. Like, yeah. You can just do an image search on yeah. Google and, and see for yourself. Uh, but, again, you know, this was how a lot of white artists were drawing um, black people at the time. So, you know, on one hand, you could say that it was acceptable. Or yeah. just, um, you know, the normal, typical thing that... that uh, people in uh america did but you know as a modern person yeah it's hard to stomach that you yeah. know and and i, I was I, I started reading it and i forced my way through probably like a hundred pages of it but after a while i was like you know what i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> i feel unclean <laughs> yeah i felt unclean man like it it was hard to appreciate the craft and and the story of and the stories because yeah. of that, you would have to disassociate yourself on a pretty high level in yeah. order to ignore those things. Yeah, and and it's it's I'm I'm not saying this to be disrespectful of Will Eisner because I think even he would say, or I think in his later years, you know, he would look at that and and probably be regretful of it. Yeah. Um. But but uh, you know. Even looking, re- trying to read that comic as an artifact of its time, it kind of, or not kind of, it, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough because the other s- spirit stories I had read before that one, like none of them had that character. Yeah. So I, I felt like I didn't deal with it. You know, it was yeah. just the spirit doing crime fighting stuff yeah. and dealing with femme fatales. And, you know, it's all fairly wholesome um, for its era. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got that hardcover. <laughs> And I was like, man, I can't, I can't read this. <laughs> I can't in good conscience. Yeah. So I had to, I had to sell it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, this Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's nowhere near It does near not have level. any of that. It's, not, yeah. it's nowhere near that level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our episode of Between the Gutters. Um... Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. by 
Steranko coming in at number four on the list of the top 25 Marvels of all time. We're coming down to the end of it, so stick with us and, uh, you know, thanks for coming on this journey with us. Yeah.